Floods of Justice is part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. The Tennessee Holler provides relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at www.tnholler.com. Hey, friends, welcome to another episode of Floods of Justice. And this episode is really dealing with a heavy subject and something that's been on my heart and I think the hearts of most uh, Americans. Our country has a love affair with guns. It's almost as as if guns have become our idols. Over the last few weeks, there have been countless mass shootings, over 200 mass shootings so far this year in our country. This is unique to the United States. Other countries don't have this problem. But over the last two weeks, we have had mass shootings with mass casualties from Buffalo, New York, to California, um, to Texas, and to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and even in my own community, in my own state, one over the weekend where six uh, individuals were hurt. With that in mind, last Sunday, April the 29th, my church gathered at a park for service over the Memorial Day weekend. And instead of preaching a sermon, I really just talked about this issue of uh, gun control and of violence and what it means to be a peacemaker, really, was the theme of, of the service. And so I want to share that with you, but I need to tell you up front that we did not have a, really a sound system set up. We did not have any professional recording equipment. And so the sermon was recorded on my iPhone. As a result, you hear a lot of background noise. Uh, there's a playground uh, by the pavilion and our kids were on the playground playing, and it's really something else that in a lot of ways, my iPhone picked up their voices that was a long way away from the phone more than it picked up my phone. So you're gonna hear some kids wanting to play hide and seek. You're gonna hear the birds chirping. You're gonna hear a lot of background noise, but also you will hear uh, this sermon on what it means to be a peacemaker in our society today. In the sermon, I mentioned that I was working on a letter to present to Governor Lee. And, and so Monday, I finished that letter on Memorial Day and sent it out to try to get as many pastors as possible to sign. We had right at 50 pastors who signed it. And then on Wednesday, uh, a group of about 70 of us gathered at the governor's office in Nashville, Tennessee, and tried to present a letter uh, to uh, the governor. And so I make mention of this in the sermon that I'm working on a letter. After the sermon, I want to talk about the letter a little bit more and read the letter and let you know what happened on that day. But before then, enjoy the sermon. If you have your Bibles, open them to Amos chapter 5. And I want to read verse 24, where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, justice, justice. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev Kev, he is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the Coffee House at 2nd and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. Bibles, open them to Matthew uh, chapter 5. 
chapter 5. And, um, you know, it, it, it's fun to be here and to, and to hear life. I love to hear the kids playing, and I don't think that's going to, that's not a distraction to us. We welcome that. Um, and uh, because we, you know, it, it's all, it's all of us together uh, in this, and it's good to hear laughter. Um, and, uh, but anyway, I just want to share some thoughts with you this morning. My mind has been just running wild all week with lots of different thoughts. But uh, Matthew chapter 5, right before COVID hit back in um, the winter, really it was starting in January of 2020, um, I started a series of messages where I wanted to go through the whole Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthews 5, 6, and 7. And I wanted to do a deep dive and a verse-by-verse, -verse, just uh, ex expository study of the Sermon on the Mount. And we got through the Beatitudes, and then COVID hit. And uh, we went online for 15 months, and during that time we talked about various subjects. And, and so who knows, maybe once we get through Jeremiah, maybe God wants us to go back and look at the, Beatitude, look at the Sermon on the Mount again. It's the greatest... A sermon ever preached and uh, what's so great about it really is is brevity um, you know Jesus could say more in a couple of words than uh, we can say in hours um, and um, and so the Beatitudes that's as far as we got and I want to just kind of talk about one of the Beatitudes uh, in reference to um, just things that are going on I don't know if any of us um, have become unscarred over the last couple of weeks with events in our society. Now, by no means are we on the same level um, as the families in Buffalo or the families in Texas. We're not nowhere near what their heartbreak is. But yet, at the same time, just as citizens of this country, to see uh, what is happening, that, uh, you know, mass shootings are defined as any time four or more people are shot. It doesn't mean that they died. But if in one event, four or more people were shot, that's considered a mass shooting. And at last count, I may be off a little bit, but so far in 2022, using that as a definition, there have been 220 some odd mass shootings in the United States. Um, and three in the last two weeks, the one in Buffalo, uh, there was a church, uh, a Taiwanese church, Presbyterian church in California that had a shooting during their service. Um, and then, of course, the events in Texas. That's more shootings than there have been days. Um, there's only been 100 and some odd days this year, uh, but yet 220 mass shootings. Um, and these last two have just galvanized our country, especially this last one in, um, uh, in Texas. And, you know, it's, you know, why is this happening? And, and, you know, I, you know that, I, I mean, our church is invested in Honduras. And, and uh, this last time I went to Honduras, I was flying into San Pedro Sula. And San Pedro Sula has a reputation of being uh, the most violent city in, in the world uh, by reputation. Um, and so I remember, you know, a week or so before I was to leave, I got a, a text message from a friend who was really, really, really concerned. And was saying that I should not be going to San Pedro Sula, that that's dangerous, and I should not uh, be going there. And I, I just kind of said, don't worry about it. You know, I, I'm going to be okay. Um, and I've told people this, that, you know what, in, in, in Honduras, 
There's a lot of violence, but it's it's gang related, it's targeted, it's uh, kind of just warfare. But what you do not have in Honduras is people going into schools and just shooting people, or going into churches, or going into grocery stores, or going into movie theaters. These mass shootings that we see are really unique to the United States. And that, that's really troubling to me because, you know, in the United States, we claim to be some type of Christian nation. And we have more churches per capita than anywhere else in the world in the United States. And so if, if in the United States, the majority, the vast majority of people claim to be Christians. And so how can that be happening? In a country with so many churches and so much light and all those kind, those are the and, and my only conclusion is well apparently in the United States there's something wrong with the churches. You know that the churches are not doing what we need to be doing. We become we have become isolated and insulated, and it's all about us. And our faith has become individual. You know as long as. I'm right with God and my family's right with God. I don't really care about anybody else. That seems to be our attitude. You know, that's their problem over there, but, it's, but everything's about me and my relationship with God. That individualism that has pervaded the West really since the Enlightenment period in our time of history. And that individualism is what's hurting us, especially when you recognize that in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, there is not a Hebrew word for individual. The Hebrew faith, the Jewish faith from which our faith comes out of, is based on community. That what I do has a ripple effect on the people around me. There is nothing that I do that remains completely in isolation and about me. Everything that I do affects you. Everything that you do affects me because we live in community. And somehow or another, until we get that back in our system, that it's about us, not me, then I think we're just going to continue down this path. You know, in our society, and I don't understand all of this, but I, on Twitter and then sometimes, you know, I, I've got friends from all different walks of life and I've noticed that people, you know, they'll put their name and then in parentheses they put their pronouns. You, you've seen that? And so they'll have their name and then it'll be he, he him, she, her, they, them. Uh, and so now you have to put your name and then you put your pronoun. And so, you know, I, I want to be relevant. I want to be hip. And so uh, I thought about this. And said, okay, what are my pronouns? And so I decided that, you know, my pronouns are, you know, Kevin. And then in parentheses, the pronouns, my pronouns would be I, we. I, we. Because that, to me, in, in my mind, that shows what I'm trying to get at. This, that any decision I make affects the we. That I don't live in an isolation. It's a community. And, we, and we've gotten away from that. And so now we live in, and, and then you can add all the other stuff on top of that. Our, in the United States, our um, love affair with, with guns and and, you know, I'm not, no one wants to take away anybody's guns. I mean, the Second Amendment is there for a reason and all of that. But now it's become this thing where, you know, an 18-year-old 
can go out and buy two, two AR-15s. Now, I know there's debate if they're assault rifles, and I think the A really stands for the manufacturer's name. It doesn't really mean assault. It's the manufacturer something rifle 15. But, you know, they, they can shoot a lot of bullets in a short period of time, you know, whatever they are. And, and you know, that 18-year-old can't do a lot of things, but they can go and, and buy. And in our own state, we have this permitless uh, carry, which, which I fought against and, and got on the news about and had police officers call me thanking me, saying, please, please keep pushing the governor not to do this. This is a bad idea. These are police officers who were calling me saying, this is a bad idea. We don't want this. This is going to make our job more dangerous. And so I don't know, you know, we have more guns than we do people in our country by far. 300 million people, um, a little over 400 million guns. I think that's that we know of, so who knows how many there are. Over 20 million uh, assault rifles, uh, the AR-15s, uh, that we know of in, in our country. And so we have this love affair with it, and it has increased violence. And then you add uh, the mental illness on top of that and, and, and everything else, you know, that, that is going on. And and the breaking down of homes and all those things you've heard. And I want to say when I hear, you know, the Republicans want to concentrate on this aspect, the Democrats want to concentrate on that aspect, I want to shout and say it's both of, it's all of those things. It is all of those things. Yeah. And until we come together as a community to solve those, that we're going to have these things that will happen continually in our society. Now, this is where the Beatitudes come in. And I just want us to look at the one. So what is our role? Because I think all of this falls on the, on the uh, um, to me, everything falls on the backs of the churches. That any problem we have in a society is because the churches are not doing what God has asked us to do. I, I believe that. I know that's an oversimplification, um, but homelessness is a result of God's people not following God's principles of economics. I'm convinced of that. Um, and, and the, you know, the hatred and the, everything that we see in our society is, is we're not living by the golden rule. We're not loving our enemies. And, and so ultimately, to me, the solution is God's people doing what God's people need to be doing. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. They will be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, in context, at least the way that I look at, you know, the, the whole Sermon on the Mount is really the ethics of the kingdom of God, how we are to live in the kingdom of God. And so these, and it starts with the Beatitudes of these blessed statements, and really they're all about um, how we treat one another. And so they're all about society and social justice. And so, and so the Beatitudes start with blessed are the poor in spirit. And the word poor there means poor. These are people who they are, they are poor, not just in spirit, but they are poor. And they are poor because of the economic system that they live in oppresses them. And so blessed are the poor and that poor in spirit. The attitudes that people in poverty have oftentimes are good attitudes. Because you know what? In a poor community you have more community than you do in wealthy communities. You can drive through a poor community on a nice day like today and everybody will be outside, people will be cooking out, the music will be loud, 
everybody's fellowshipping with each other and, and you know you can walk in and if anybody's got anything to eat they're going to offer you something to eat all that kind of stuff is true but you go to a wealthy neighborhood and all the houses have privacy fences and no one knows what's going on right next door to them and so the, 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 the spirit of community oftentimes is, and that's kind of what it means to be poor in spirit what are the attitudes that people who are poor who follow God have now, how can we adopt those? But still, it's about that. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn. And so when you see what's going on and you see the corrupt societies, it should break your heart. And God says, you're blessed if it breaks your heart. And then blessed are the merciful in verse 7. And, and then, you know, blessed are the pure in heart. Your motives are pure as you're standing up. Blessed are those who hungry and thirst for righteousness. And really, anytime in the Bible you see the word righteousness, you could put slash justice because that's what it's talking about. And so blessed are those who hungry and thirst for justice. And then Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. So in context, to be a peacemaker doesn't mean that you sit back and do nothing. Being a peacemaker doesn't mean that you just try to go along to get along or to get along so you can go along. Being a peacemaker doesn't mean that you, that you avoid conflict. It doesn't mean that you don't do anything. You just try to be peaceful. To be a peacemaker is a person who takes the initiative to bring peace in the society that they are in. And so to be a peacemaker means that you are active, that you go and you do something. You put yourself in the middle of a conflict and say, this is enough. Enough is enough. And so, you know, if you saw two people fighting, a peacemaker is not somebody who just kind of sits on the outside and makes sure that nothing happens to them. No, a peacemaker gets in the middle, even if it puts their life in danger, gets in the middle of that conflict to try to bring peace. Jesus says, blessed are those who do that. Blessed are those who get involved. Blessed are those who try to bring peace in the middle of turmoil and chaos. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And I think that's the challenge that I feel that I want to share with you. That as followers of Jesus Christ, it is time for us to be active in our communities and in our societies, being intentional about bringing peace. We can no longer sit idly by and say, that's none of my business. We can no longer sit idly by and say, well, that doesn't affect me, so I'm not going to get involved. If it affects other people, then we have to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then later on, if you drop down in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, Jesus really tells us why we're to be doing this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But, a salt, but, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be more made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. And so Jesus says, you do this. You become a peacemaker. You intentionally, you, you become active in bringing peace because that's how you are salt and light in the world. That's how you make a difference. 
You're to affect change. We are to affect change. We are to be salt and light in our community. And then at the end of, of that particular passage in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 16, Jesus says, In the same way let your, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds. And praise your Father in heaven. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God's people were more known for seeking peace, for initiating change, for caring for the needy, for doing all those things? Wouldn't it be wonderful if that's what the newspapers were talking about instead of sex scandals in the church? Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, wouldn't it be better if when people thought of churches, they thought that is a place where people are intentionally going about trying to bring peace in their community and they are salt and light. And you know what? That brings glory to God. You know, by no means, please, by no means am I saying that I got it all together and I'm perfect because I'm far from that. But I can remember years ago, before we started the Homeless Alliance, but yet we were taking care of the homeless as a church, I got a check, um, a few hundred dollars, uh, from somebody who lived in West Ham. They saw my name in the paper, they saw what we were doing, and they wrote me a letter along with that check. And the letter said something like this. It said, Pastor Kevin, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. But if I did, I would believe in the God you believe in. So they will see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. That's what we're to be doing as a church. So you say, well, Kevin, what are you getting at? Well, well here, here, here's what I'm getting at. How do you do this? There's something all of us can do. First and foremost, yes, we can pray. But you know what? Oftentimes, we don't understand what prayer is. Too many times when we pray, our prayers are more like complaints. You know. God, I wish this wasn't going on. God, can you change this? God, I need this. God. But really, prayer is a request. We are asking God to do something. And here's what usually happens. If we will pray and ask God, to, Lord, what is going on in our society? Lord, what can be, you know, we ask God, God, what can be done? Here's what our prayer should be about Texas and about our own community with, with even the shooting the other night and about things that are going on. Our prayer should be, God, what would you have me do about this? That's what our prayer should be. It's like Isaiah's prayer when he said, Heal my sin me. And so when we pray, our prayer should be, God, what do you want me to do? And then we wait and we listen. And when God tells us what to do, we do it. So prayers should lead to action. Always. And so God, what should I do? Maybe God is saying, you know, on now... On Saturday, June the 11th, we're having a block party that's already been pre-scheduled. But at the same time we're having a block party, there are marches all across the country, including one in Nashville, uh, against gun violence. 
And so maybe God's saying, you know what? You need to join that march on Saturday, June the 11th. Your pastor will understand. I'll understand. You know, because if we didn't have the block party, that's where I'd be. You know. Well, a march doesn't do anything. Yes, it does. It stands witness. It stand, people say, Kevin, why do you do these things when you know it's not going to make any difference? And it's like, you know, my job really didn't make a difference. My job is to listen to God and to bear witness that somebody stood up against this. Somebody said something about something. So maybe that's what, maybe God tells you, you know what, you need to get more involved in your kid's school than you are. Maybe that's why you say, God, what can I do about this? Maybe God says, you know what? You need to write your senator. You need to write the governor. You need to write, uh, which is what I'm working on right now. You, you know, you need to, you need to, to uh, you know, what I hear God saying is you need to get some other pastors together and write a letter and go to the governor and put it on the governor's desk saying, this is what we would like for you to do. Now, is he going to listen? Probably not. But you do what? You know. Or, or maybe God tells you, Lord, what am I going to do about this? And God brings a child in the community to your mind who is struggling, who doesn't have a, a good home life, who, who is struggling in school and all kinds of things. And maybe God says, you know what you need to do about all this? You need to mentor that kid. You need to ask him into your house. You need, you need to come alongside of him and be the parent that maybe he, doesn't, he or she doesn't have. And so we pray, Lord, I pray for those families. I pray for our country. I pray for all this, what's going on. But now, God, what do you want me to do? Yes. I mean, the story's told, and you've heard me tell this before, but the story's told of, of someone who was, who was really upset about God when he saw all the evil and all the bad things in the world, and, and, he, and he prayed to God, and he said, God, why do you allow these things to happen? And in his prayer, he heard God say back, I could ask you the same thing. Why do you allow this to happen? Why don't you do something about it? And you see, God didn't call just me and a few other people to be salt and light in the community. He calls all of us to that. Now we all have different functions to play. And some, but, but he calls us all. And so when we pray. Say Lord I want to be a peacemaker. I want to take the initiative. To bring peace to my family. To my community. To my neighborhood. To my school. To my place of employment to the country. Lord, I want to be an instrument of peace, which means that you get involved and do something. And then you pray, Lord, what would you have me do? You know, just one last illustration, and I think you, you know this, but it was I think around sometime between 2011 and 2013. I don't remember now. It's been too long ago. But there was an article in the Tennessean that said over the next um, 11 months, I can't remember now if it was over the next 11 months, 13 um, people were going to be executed by the state, or if it was over the next 13 months, 11 people were going to be executed by the state. 
I can't remember that. And I can remember when I read that in the article, there was something inside of me that said, what? That's horrible. And I said, God, what do you want me to do? And, and God said, go to death row. And you've heard the story. I didn't know anybody. That, I didn't even know where death row was. I didn't have any clue. I, and so I said, okay, God. And I Googled. I literally got on the Internet and just Googled. Death row, Tennessee. Came across um, uh, an, 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 an organization in Nashville called Tennesseans um, a, a for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. Got on their website. The lady was a minister who's the CEO of that organization. I called her out of the blue. said, you don't know me, but here's what I think is going on. Uh, would you meet with me for a cup of coffee? Uh, she said yes. And she turned the Billy Graham rule, you know, if you ever heard of the Billy Graham rule, where, you know, like, you know, I was taught, you know, as a, as a minister, if you're going to meet with a person of the opposite sex, you need to make sure you have somebody else with you and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and so when I, I remember when I met this lady for coffee, she had a friend with her. So she turned it around. She didn't want to meet with some guy she didn't know by herself. And then we talked, and she gave me the name of the chaplain at Riverbend. I made that phone call. Same thing. Let's get together for coffee. And the, and the rest is history. And so my challenge for you today is when you see what's going on in our world and it breaks your heart, when you pray about it, make sure your prayer includes, God, what would you have me do? And then you listen to his voice and what he tells you to do, you do. That's how we become peacemakers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge each of us, that we wouldn't no longer just sit on the sidelines and talk about how bad things are. But Lord, you would show us what we can do. It could be something as simple as a cup of cold water to our neighbor. To something more complex. But Lord, you have something for all of us to do so that we can be salt and light in our community. Speak to our hearts and help us to be obedient to what you have to us, have, have for us to do. And now, Father, I do pray you bless our time of fellowship and when the food's ready and we eat, Lord, we pray that you would bless that to the nourishment of our bodies. Come now and be with us as we fellowship together. In Jesus' name, amen. There are drinks, soft drinks in the cooler. It looks like the grill is being lit. Uh, so give us a few moments. Um, go slide down the slide like see some of you go slide down the slide. And uh, let's just enjoy fellowship together. Once again, thanks for listening uh, to this episode of Floods of Justice. I mentioned before the sermon that I was working on a letter, and I mentioned in the sermon that I was working on a letter uh, to our governor, uh, Governor Lee, the governor of Tennessee. I completed that letter and had about 50 pastors who signed on with that letter with me, and on Wednesday, June 1st, we went to the governor's office to deliver this letter. Now, I have been to the governor's office on many occasions to present letters, and usually what happens is uh, somebody from the governor's office will greet us 
and are very polite. The governor is hardly ever there, but somebody from his staff will come out. We express to them our concerns, express to them the letter that we have written and why we've written that letter, and then hand it to that person. And the person graciously receives it and gives us his word uh, that he'll make sure the governor gets that letter. Well, that did not happen this time. Before we got to the office, we had received word that the office had really closed. They turned off all the lights and were all gone because they knew we were coming. So when we got to the governor's office, the only person in the governor's office was a Tennessee Highway Patrolman. And I think there were two of them in there. The, the Tennessee Highway Patrolman sat behind his desk on the other side of the room, so we had to talk loud to communicate with him. He never came over to us. He never really even greeted us and said he would not take the letter, that he would not take it. He would not put it on his desk or the governor's desk and that I needed to mail the letter, but he would not take the letter. So I placed the letter on the floor of the governor's office. Then at the governor's desk, the list of all the names of the people who were killed in Buffalo and in Texas uh, were read and uh, stuffed animals and backpacks and flowers were put down uh, there along with another copy of the letter to kind of symbolize uh, all the deaths that our country has experienced. And then we held a press conference where several different people spoke. And then we continued the vigil. So from, that be from the beginning to the end, we were in the governor's, um, outside the governor's office for 90 minutes, which is how long it took for the police to finally end uh, the situation at Robb Elementary School. And then we left. Within 10 minutes of us leaving, people from the state capitol, from the governor's office, removed the stuffed animals, the flowers, the backpacks, and the letter to the governor and threw them in the trash. Total disrespect for Tennessee citizens. But during uh, the um, press conference, I read the letter. And so I want to read the letter to you. And uh, it outlines five things that we're asking for. And remember that this letter was signed by almost 50 pastors from across Tennessee. So here is the letter. Dear Governor Lee, in the most beautiful sermon ever preached, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Peacemakers intentionally seek peace by speaking out against oppression, injustice, strife, and violence. It is with this attitude, and, and in the name of Jesus who spoke those words, that we write this letter. Our country and our local communities are hurting because of the scourge of gun violence. The horrific massacre of 19 children and two teachers inside Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, is but the latest of thousands of mass shootings since Columbine in 1999. In fact, gun violence is now the leading cause of death among our children and adolescents. Even in our own state, just this past weekend, six teenagers were shot in Chattanooga. Enough is enough. As ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ and as agents of peace, we plead with you to use all your legislative power to enact sensible gun control regulations. Furthermore, we request that you call a special session of the Tennessee General Assembly to address gun violence. Specifically, we are asking the Tennessee General Assembly to do five things. First, repeal the permitless carry law that went into effect July 1st, 2021. Second, pass a universal background check law that closes the gun show loophole. 
Third, call for a vote on SP 18107, also known as the Red Flag Law that has been pending in the Senate Judiciary Committee since June of 2020. Number four, ban semi-automatic assault weapons, armor-piercing ammunition, and high-capacity magazines. Number five, form a committee that includes clergy from all faiths to work on common-sense gun control regulations. We believe such actions to be positive steps in the right direction for bringing peace to our communities. Sincerely, 47 ministers from across the state of Tennessee. This letter was thrown away. I will be mailing a copy of the letter. We do know that Governor Lee knows about this letter and about the protest because his office did release a statement later on, later on that Wednesday afternoon. And basically the statement said they were not going to do anything uh, with gun regulations. And so that's the state that we live in. It is time for all of us to get involved and contact our leaders and demand that something be done uh, to pass common sense gun control regulations. Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Join the conversation online at floodsofjustice.com or find the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin.